Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 3 of 7 podcast. This is Chad. Just wanted to take care of a little housekeeping before we start this show, let you guys know where we're at with the podcast. It has really grown quite a bit since we started in September. We're up to almost 20,000 downloads just in the last couple of months, so uh, we're really enjoying it. We're getting ready to take it up a level. Um, We've went out and invested about $3,000 into some professional-grade audio recording equipment so we can bring you guys the best possible show that we can make. Um, So we've got just a few more episodes to release that are going to be recorded using the old equipment. And then from that point forward, you will hear all the future episodes done on this newer equipment that I'm speaking on right now. So it's really allowed us to go out to be mobile, to conduct live interviews with people anywhere we go. It's also improved the quality of of the shows that we record uh, here in the studio. So we're really excited about taking this up to the next level. Um, What we have done recently is create a Patreon account. And so what we're doing is asking you guys, if you're enjoying the show, if it's providing value to you, um, would be to go on Patreon. And that website will be linked in the show notes for this episode. It's basically patreon.com backslash three of seven. And make a pledge and support us and the 3 of 7 project. The pledges are on three different tiers. There's $5 a month, $10 a month, or $25 a month. Um, What your pledge does for us is, again, it helps us create the best quality content for you as the listener. It lessens our dependence on advertisements. It improves the audio quality of the show. It helps us pay for a professional editing service the broadcasting equipment, and it just really just frees us up and allows us to create more content. I'm headed to New Zealand in January of 2020, so coming up here in just about a week or so, and I'm going to be able to take this new equipment out and record some live interviews with some individuals that have mentored me and have really been valuable to me over the last few years of my life, so I'm really looking forward to that. Our episode today is brought to you by Exoskin. You guys have heard me talk about Exoskin. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably see me dressed out from head to toe in Exoskin on all my missions. It's just such an awesome product, and they are a huge supporter of the 3 of 7 podcast, the 3 of 7 project, everything that we've done Exoskin has been right here alongside us to, uh, to help us in our mission. So I want to talk about how I use Exoskin, uh, particularly during the Revenant, which is this race that I'm going to run in New Zealand in January. This race called the Revenant, it is extremely difficult. No one's ever finished it before, and it's very unique because it's all off-trail, It's about 120 miles long, and you have to navigate this course with a map and compass, so you have no electronic devices, and it's over extremely difficult terrain. The race is inherently dangerous, so you have to depend on your gear. Your life depends on your gear um, in certain situations. So I've chosen to take Exoskin with me to complete and compete at the Revenant, What I'll be wearing out there 
is the exotoes, which is the toe socks that Exoskin makes. These are probably the best toe socks, best socks period on the market. It's the only things that I'll put on my feet. Um, they do an awesome job uh, against chafing and blistering and all the things that you get with the, um, I guess, any other sock brand other than these toe socks. They've been the best thing that I've used so far. And moving up from the socks, I will have on the mid-weight uh, compression shorts from Exoskin. Um, I wear the short ones because about the only good-looking thing about my body is my legs. So I wear short shorts every chance I get. And then coming up from there, depending on the temperature, I will either have on the long sleeve compression top, which is a really great layer um, in temperatures down into the 30s and probably up into the high 50s. If it's any warmer than that, I will have on the short sleeve compression top. And that's what I'll be rocking out at the Revenant, guys. And that's that's pretty standard for me across the board on all my ultras as far as my apparel. If you're interested in exoskin and you're looking to buy the best gear that you can possibly wear out on the trail, go to exoskin.us. That's xoskin.us to find out more and to place your order. They have provided us as three of seven podcast listeners with a pro code, that pro code is three, that's the number three of the number seven, no spaces. That pro code will give you 20% off any Exoskin products that you order online. Hope you guys check them out. You won't be disappointed. Look at your own life, examine your own life, and what, it, what do you have in your life that other people don't have that you are taking for granted that that you could get so much more benefit out of if you would just stop and look and realize the value of of the things that we do have hi brother jeff welcome to the 307 podcast thank you i appreciate it <laughs> no man it's a pleasure to have you on and you know i think one of the coolest things uh about the three of seven for Blake and I thus far has been the people that we've been able to meet and come in contact with. And Jeff, you're one of those guys. I mean, not only have you provided continual support and encouragement to me ever since that first episode on team never quit, man. And uh, you reached out to me and you've just stayed in touch and just like family. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's just, uh, it's just been amazing. That's one of the coolest things to share with us, the things that you're doing with Active Future and your uh, your goal-setting strategies, and that stuff has helped us tremendously, man. Awesome. No, I, I appreciate it, you know, and it's funny. You talk about family, and I know, Blake, you just said that, is that even the guests that, that you guys have had on, I've connected with via Instagram. We all talk about how bad social media can be, and that's the positive thing that, that you guys have done is you've you've connected me with people that have inspired me like JD Malone. You know, we go back and forth over Instagram a lot and a lot of the stuff that he posts just, it hits home. And, and he said some of the same things to me and um, just everybody that you guys have had on have been influential for me. So it's not just the two of you, it's the family that you guys are creating as well. That's amazing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's, that's really the whole point of, of the mission, really. I yep. mean, it's, it's creating that environment, man. Um, 
All right, Jeff, we're going to dig into this, man. Uh, again, I was reading through your bio earlier today, and um, there were some things that, that really stood out to me. Um, uh, what I want to start out talking about is kind of, I guess, fear and insecurities. Um, I noticed that, you know, reading through your bio, it's like there, there were some fear and insecurities that you had, and you talked about how they affected you. Um, how they held you back from life experience and from making good decisions. So I just wanted to start out and, and ask you about that fear and about those insecurities specifically during your younger years. Uh, where did they originate and and how did they manifest themselves? You know, that's that's one of those deep questions that I might have to pay a copay for if I answer them all incomplete. Uh, but, you, you know, from from just lots of things that happen to people in childhood. Some you you can repress, some that you don't repress, and everybody reacts differently to things that happen. So for me, I like to eat and I loved to eat growing up. And so for me, I'm convinced now looking back that I was depressed, like clinically depressed, probably from a young age and where that trans where that came out of. I don't 100 percent really know, but I know that I found solace in ice cream sandwiches, um, bacon, double cheeseburgers from Burger King, French fries. And because it was good. Right. I mean, some people don't eat when they're depressed. I ate when I depressed. And so a lot of that, I think, started the insecurities because I got fat. I mean, just putting it plain and simple out there. I was a, a big kid. I'm a and I was stature wise a big kid anyways. I mean, I was six feet tall by the time I was in sixth grade. So I was big anyways. And so from that and being overweight, you start getting picked on. You get bullied. You get bullied and picked on by not just people that, you know, kids, because kids are awful. They can be really bad. But Teachers would make remarks. Adults would make remarks. And then what happened, I feel like I got programmed into becoming a victim around that. It was, well, you're just big boned. You're just a husky kid. And that's just the way you're built. And that's the way you're going to be. And just nobody told me no when it came to food. Um, and, and back in the, the 70s, early 80s, we really don't we didn't know everything that we know now. Right. It's just you eat and you get full and then you move on to the next thing. Well, I never really got full, I guess, because I just kept eating. Um, so a lot of those things I, I feel like created the insecurities, which then I, I don't know if it was just the way I was programmed. Anything that was difficult, I ran away from. And I, I know a lot of people have a tendency to do that. And some people don't. Right. They run towards fear and listening to a lot of the things that you've said, Chad, that sounds like that's something that you looked for. Right. Like you look to go for something that was challenging, where for me, as soon as something got a little hard, I just quit. And that becomes a habit where you just quit. And when you really as I've gotten older and I'm going to be 47 soon is you start to look back and reflect on the things that you didn't realize that you did. And then you have to grow from those things. So for me, seeing the fact that I quit everything that got difficult, I looked for ways to fill the void that I wasn't fulfilled. And, and, you know, the interesting thing is I was raised in a Christian home. 
you know, it was one of those things that it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, like clockwork, we went. Um, now, my dad worked all the time. He owned his own business. And so I feel like there was a there was a void there from him not being there. I knew he loved me. I knew he loved my brother and my mom. But it was his way to provide because that's what his dad had done. So it was a that pass down that so many of us are used to doing, especially in the, the male role is your job is to provide and it's to provide financially. Um, so I feel that some of that where, you know, my mom is an angel sent from above. I mean, if you ever meet her, all you want to do is hug her because she's the sweetest thing in the world. And part of that also could be detrimental to somebody who needs a little bit of a push or a lot of a push. And I never got that push. Um, and that was the absence of my dad not being there to push me because he would have. But, you know, we got into that rut of life that most of us do. And I, I feel and I don't know if I'm answering your question fully, but just the fear part came out of just something being tough. So I just didn't do it. I'd make an excuse. I'd lie. Um, I would just do anything to avoid doing something that was difficult or potentially scary. And so, you know, it's funny when you put that don't die in the chair, I really started thinking about it. And I, it was like that first post that you put up is I, I was going to die in the chair because I, it was more comfortable to sit in that chair than it was to get up and try something. Mm-hmm. No, I think you answered the question perfectly, Jeff. Yeah. You're talking about how it, you know, you talked a little bit about how it keeps you from that life experience, you know, not do not getting out and, and experiencing life to the fullest because of those insecurities. And and then as far as um, how it kept you from making good decisions, life decisions, Jeff, what did you mean specifically by that? You know? <laughs> yeah. What's interesting about that is the when, when you experience and, and a lot of people potentially can relate not everybody but some can is when you have a low self-esteem you look for acceptance and you look for acceptance no matter what the cost so whether it's hanging out and and drinking too much with your buddies because you don't want to say no when you know that you shouldn't be involved in that situation if it's um you know like i said eating things that you know that you shouldn't, if it's going to places that you know that you shouldn't go, um, just a lot of those things. And that was all out of not wanting to have somebody not like me because I was I just didn't like myself. I had this huge void. And so I did whatever I needed to do to be accepted, even when I knew that I was making the wrong decision. And that's that's the challenge that I don't know if a lot of people who suffer from a low self-esteem or low self-worth, whatever it may be, really think about of their choices and why they do what they do. And they even do things that are harmful to them because they don't want to tell somebody else. No, you know, you, you hear so often and this was not my case, but you hear where people end up hanging with the wrong people and they end up going somewhere and doing, rob, you know, stealing a car, doing something that they shouldn't do all because the pack went and they didn't want to say no and feel left out. That right there is to me, that's low self-worth on that person is that even when their convictions are challenged, they can't stand up to it. And that was one of my struggles growing up a Christian. 
I knew the things that I should and should not do. My mom instilled those in me. My Bible study class instilled them on me and I knew it, but I would still do things that contradicted my beliefs and my convictions because I, I wanted to waver. I needed to, I needed to be liked by everybody. And that gets exhausting, you know, and you just get to the point where mentally you just can't keep doing it. And I, I remember I would see friends that were just dedicated to Christ and really doing what they should do at an early age. And I would go, man, I wish I could do that. But I didn't do it because I was scared because of the potential repercussions of not being liked by certain people when I needed to be liked by that person because that's the example I needed to follow. Um, you know, so so that's where, you know, some of those things really creeped up for me. And, and like I was I'd said before, is I got to the point where my weight was out of control. When I graduated high school, I was 270 pounds and I was a big boy. Um, I don't even, it didn't even look like me. And I got and I started thinking, well, if I lose weight, people will like me. You know, girls will like me. This is I, I'll get that outward acceptance. So I was still not doing anything for me. I was doing things because I wanted other people to like me. So I lost the weight. It took me about five years and I dropped um, 85 pounds and, you know, really. And I but and I did it with a plan. Right. I knew I needed to eat better, knew I needed to exercise more. So I did it. But I did it all for the wrong reasons. And so like, when you guys talk about body, soul and spirit, I did it for the body. But the other two were so far away that I just wasn't fulfilled with that. And it was just a hole. Now, I'm so blessed that I've been able to keep it off and maintain a physical healthy life um, in some instances. Um, and so and all that comes from that fear that made me make bad decisions that might not have looked bad on the outside, but inside it compounded over the years to the point where, you know, you get 45 and go, what am I doing? Just something that I, you know, you had back at the beginning of the story, a, a couple of things stuck out to me. Are you were saying programmed and habits? And so we do this podcast to give people real life tools that they can use to complete themselves. And so what stuck out to me is you said, you know, the teachers were saying that to you, other adults. And on top of that, of course, all the kids. But what I pulled out of that was that repetition is how we get programmed. And and that goes back to the power of the spoken word and and counterpunching thoughts in your head. And just another example of how that stuff works, but how it worked for the opposite of you. Other people telling you things in turn, you started telling yourself those things and that programmed your mind to do that. So. It works both ways. Mm -hmm. yep. and, and yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> we are we are programmable. And depending on which way you want to go, you repeat the thoughts in your head or the words out loud. And and that's how you get it. Yeah. And that's what's sad about right now. The, the place that we're in in society is so much easier to be negative and to frown than it is to be positive and lift somebody else up. Right. Because if I lift you up, that does nothing for me. Right. I mean, that's a 100 percent selfless act to lift you guys up. Now, if I tear you down and I poke fun of you, if I troll you, then I get that dopamine release of I'm better than they are because I just put them down. And we we get addicted to that. 
And it's so much easier to smash somebody than it is to pull them up and lift them up. Right. I mean, it's I can come over and I can knock you down physically. It's way easier than if I pull my hand and have to pull you up. Yeah. Mm, it's physically easier and, and emotionally and mentally it's the same way. And we just do it too much and it's, it's detrimental. Agreed brother. Agreed. You know, and another thing while we're on the topic here, Jeff, uh, that really struck me in your bio, <clears throat> I'm going to ask you a question. Do titles and statuses satisfy or cure your insecurities? And and that, and that's something that I think I've seen even throughout my career in the Navy, brother, is, is people thinking, man, you know, if uh, if I can just make this next rank or if I can just get into this next position uh, within the platoon, you know, uh, I'm going to feel so much better. Um, so tell us a little bit about your uh, your concept behind that, Jeff. It, you know, it, it doesn't. Uh, titles are just titles and therefore our insecurities, therefore our weaknesses. Um, they're there to try to help prove ourselves to other people. And I had reached, you know, a really I'd worked really hard in my career and I would reached this point where I had the title that I had always wanted. But with getting that title, I had lost so much of who I was over a decade. And a lot of that comes from those insecurities and those fears that it came to the to the point where it just it had to change. Right. And you have to you got to the point where you, I just you had to step aside and forego all those. And and it, I needed to be with my family. I needed to get my my spiritual side. Everything was just completely out of whack because I was chasing a title. Um, you know, you, when you chase titles, when you chase the in, extrinsic things, you're never going to be fulfilled. <clears throat> I wasn't. I was a shell. Um, again, I was, you know, making bad decisions, drinking way too much, making bad decisions when I would do that um, and repeating not the drinking part. My dad didn't drink, but repeating the just workaholic, because what people also don't see is. When you work, you don't hear the thoughts in your head. You're filling it with so much other stuff. So if I'm constantly trying to get that next title, constantly trying to climb that ladder, that's selfish. That's me trying to go up. And I would used to always like point fingers. And in, in essence, my job was to judge others. In the corporate world, as you go up, your job, they say it's to be a coach and a leader, but you're really judging the people below you. I mean, that's it's encouraged to say you need to tell that person what they're not doing well and what they're doing well. So it was more of a, a judgmental attitude than it is a corrective attitude. And and with the title, you get to the point where um, you feel like well, I've got this title and I'm going to rain my wisdom down on everybody else because I've, I've elevated myself to this position where why wouldn't they want to listen to me? I've got a great title on my business card. Right. And and it like in the military, I got stripes on my arms. I got bars on my chest. You know, of course, I'm amazing. You know, I've got all this stuff, but I'm just another guy that I just had lost that. I had lost what I didn't want to be. And I thought I was doing what I should do. But it all comes back to how both of you have just brilliantly put it. 
body, soul, and spirit. And, and even though the title wasn't physical, it, I guess you could say it was physical. I was still in that body section and my soul and spirit, the flame was going out. I mean, it was going dark pretty fast. Um, and so if people can just see the fact that you have to be fulfilled first, doesn't mean you can't have the titles. It doesn't mean you can't try to elevate yourself, but it's all about perspective and making sure that that things stay organized the way they need to. You know, one of the things that that aggravates me is people talk about work life balance doesn't exist. It can't exist. Balance is 50 50. It's never you know, you're never going to have both things at the same point. Now, you need to be organized, right? There may be some days that work takes a little bit more time from your day. Well, then later on, I need to make sure that family time and my spiritual time overshadows work. And that's where keeping a balance and being intentional about that organization of your time is so critical that when you're chasing titles, it's all work. And then you kind of fill in the gap at the bottom Well, when I come home in between conference calls, I'll hug my kids. I'll give them a kiss. You know, I'll I'll hug my wife and sit next to her on the couch and watch TV while the whole time work's going through my head. I'm not really there. I was there physically, but my spirit and soul was not there. Mm. Come on, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Preach. I love that, man. And I think every I think that everything that you just said not only applies to uh, the titles, but it also applies to money. Um, I can remember being a young man and, uh, you know, going through SEAL training. I came I came from a, a fairly poor uh, family. We didn't have a whole lot. We had a roof over our head and food on the table, but we didn't have a whole lot. And I remember thinking when I graduated SEAL training, they gave us $40,000 the day we graduated, cash money. For me, man, I thought, good, man, if I had 40 grand in my bank account, I don't, I'm good, man. I'm good for the rest of my life. You know, I thought that was a ton of money back then. And I thought it was going to make me so happy, just like, uh, just like the title. Um, I thought that that large chunk of money was just going to change my life and, and bring me all this happiness. And I remember I blew through it in six months and I was miserable. The entire time. So you did pretty good to do make it six months. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's right, man. Well, so it, I, I, I didn't know how to spend money back then, Jeff. I figured it out now. <laughs> oh, it took me a long time. The same thing. So when I was in college, this is dating me a little bit. Really, right when I graduated high school, credit cards weren't that readily available to young people. Right. I mean, it was difficult. And I remember I got my first credit card. When I was 18, my dad had just passed away and now I've got a credit card. You said you had forty thousand dollars. I had a five hundred dollar credit limit on this card. And I was rich. I remember I went home and I told him, I was like, I have five hundred bucks on this card. So <laughs> I filled it up to five hundred pretty quick. Right. Because mm-hmm. we didn't have a whole lot. But what we did have it's funny. As you get older, um, you start to realize I had two parents that loved me, I had clean clothes and we already talked about my full belly that I didn't want anything. I mean, I, I had it right. And, but I had that fear and that void that I tried to fill with money and with a credit card. I didn't know how to spend money. I didn't know how to manage my finances. And I ran that credit card up to the point where 
I, I was in my thirties before I got it all paid off. Cause then I would just flip it to another card and then I'd flip it to another card and you'd walk across campus at college and they'd give away free t-shirts to sign up for a credit card. So before I know it, I've got like seven free t-shirts and seven credit cards, you know? And as long as I make that $25 a month minimum payment, that was enough. And the, the, how that symbol, the symbolism of life is the same way. People want to fill their credit card up and only pay $25 a month and not carry about carrying that, that credit with them and that debt that looms over them that you can't enjoy anything. Cause I would get a, I do well at work and I'd get a bonus and I go, okay, I could pay my credit card down or I'll just leave that credit card debt there and then go buy something else trying to fill a void. And we still do it. People still do it to this day. And it's, again, it's that body, soul, spirit. They're, they're looking for something and it's a proven scientific medical fact. When somebody goes and spends money, you get a dopamine release. It's the same release that you get if you did cocaine, if you smoked a cigarette or, or whatever it is, you get that same excitement. And all we need, all we want as just basic humans is that dopamine release because it feels good. If you go buy something, it feels good. And you just get everything twisted because you feel like that stereo is going to fill that void. And I looked, I was just telling my wife this the other night. I was like, you know what? It just, I don't even remember the first stereo I bought, but I was super happy when I bought it. <laughs> but if I would have spent that $500 and gone on a trip or, or done something for somebody else, where would that fulfillment have been? But that's where you just, again, you're, I was just trying to fill that hole that would, that I created. I'm not, I'm not going to blame anybody for anything I've done ever again, because I could have reacted differently to the way they did it. I just didn't have the tools yet. That's um, it, and, brother. and so that's, that's where I love what you guys are doing because you're trying to present tools to people and support <clears throat> people to where they can get those three aspects of their life back in order. And cause that's where your life will change hundred percent. It's where mine has. I agree, Jeff. And, you know, so we've talked about these insecurities. We've talked about the, the fear and we've talked about ways that that we try to to fill those insecurities and to, uh, you know, to make ourselves happy. But but they obviously don't work. That's the titles and, and money and chasing those things. Um, you know, I want to move into the transition because obviously uh, you made a switch at some point. You're sitting here talking to us right now, dropping knowledge on us, uh, really impacting me on a personal level yeah. with the things that you're saying. So uh, I see the transition here in your bio as I read it. And actually, the last sentence talks about how you began to really notice that deficit in your body, soul, and spirit, and then you make this transition, um, and you you come looks like you come off the road. You you take your you know you drop your workload a little bit, and you decide to focus on yourself, the the whole part of yourself, body, soul, yeah. and spirit. So, uh, what spurred that transition? And talk about the courage it took to make that switch, man. You know, it was it was life decisions that that 
you end up having to make, whether it was courage or necessity, one of the two is the decision was made and coming off the road and, and losing the title, it took a hit, right? We just talked about for the last, you know, what, 20 minutes about how insecure and low my self-worth was. And it was still the same, right? Like I, I would lie to myself and lie to my head. And like Blake, you were saying is I was repeating the things that I had heard forever and I was conjuring up the defense mechanisms that I'd had. I mean, I'd gone to therapy um, and lied to the therapist. Like, how is that even remotely helpful if you're not even honest with the person that's not supposed to be judgmental? I was so worried about that. And it came to the point where I just I had to just give in. I had to give in to the 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 just the the years of just faking it till you make it and and looking at all those things because I had like I said I had lost so much chasing titles. I'd lost who I was, I lost who my parents raised me to be and I had to get that back into play and so by transitioning into to my new role which I love, I'm responsible for me and I'm responsible to help others but it's given me and afforded me such an amazing opportunity to do the work on myself that I flipped everything completely where before my priority was work and it wasn't even like an even third, third, third work was probably 75%. And then family was probably 15%, 20%. And then God was 5%. You know, I still went to church. I still would pray and I would confess my sins, but I wasn't repenting of my sins. Right. And so I just got to that point where I had to repent and and repentance. A lot of people use that, I think, in the wrong context, because repent means is, you know, you know, confess what you did, but don't keep doing it. (laughs) And so many times we just say, I'm sorry. But then you go right back and doing it, you know, um, and, and so I had to repent of that and just start from scratch. And, you know, from that is I'm completely flipped back to where it's, you know, God's first family, second and works third. And I would say that it's a, a reasonable distribution. Right. I mean, I'm given 100 percent of myself with each one the way I need to. So. When, you know, I'm really trying to, because again, I was raised in a Christian household. I was baptized when I was young. I was raised in a a very conservative um, religion. And, but I never, I I see it now that I never fully gave myself to Christ and allowed him to come in and do the work that he needed to do. And it's been mind boggling how amazing that just that's that simple act that of just accepting him and just releasing the anxiety, releasing the worry, the concern, me trying to be in control changed everything, completely changed my outlook. And from that, you know, I've been able to do the work on, you know, myself and I'm in the car all the time. And so with that, right, I've shifted everything I listen to. I only consume positive and self-development stuff. I mean, 
I, it's funny. So I started listening to the Joe Rogan podcast and then heard about the Onnit podcast and listened to that one. And then um, David Rutherford was on his and he was talking about him and Marcus Luttrell. I was like, oh, I know that name. So he's like, yeah, we started this podcast and it led me to that podcast. And it had just it, uh, amazing stories of people fighting through things. And I was going through this time in my life where, like I said, I was a quitter. I ran from everything. And here's all these amazing stories. And it wasn't just the military veterans and the military experiences. You know, they had tons of different people on that show. And I'll remember it clear as day. I was driving from one office in Merritt Island to Titusville, and I was listening to your podcast. And I was listening to, you know, your story and, and what you had to say. And 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 it just it impacted me so much. And all these different ones that I listened to, they just impact me in one way, shape or form. So, Blake, like you were saying earlier, I've reprogrammed my head. It's taken almost two years. Now, I'm fortunate. My mom, God bless her soul. She and she's still alive. <laughs> she uh, um, she's a self-development just fanatic. She's been like that since I was little. She would sing. um think positive, believe you can to me in the morning and just all these different things. She was just, I mean, always a smile on her face. So I've always been predisposed to doing some self-development stuff, but it just, it's reprogrammed. And I've listened to stuff where they've said medically it's neuroplasticity. you actually can change your brain waves on how you talk to yourself. And so I just, I commit to doing that. And that's what coming off the road has done because before there was just too much noise and I allowed too much noise to come in to where I needed to try to quiet the noise. And it was in a multitude of different ways, but now it's gotten quiet and it's, it's unbelievable. The peace that you get, I mean, other than a couple of work trips, I'm, I've been home every night for almost two years. You know, I put my kids to bed, I read devotion, say prayers to them every night. You can't you can't put forty thousand dollar price tag on that. I mean, you can't put any amount of money on that. And when I look back, you sit there and you start to think of, you know, the money potential that I had lost. That was an investment in my kids. I didn't lose that money. I just I reinvested that into them because, you know, at the end of the end of our days that is guaranteed. The only who cares how much money you have in the bank? It's those regrets of I wish I would have spent more time with my family and my dad when he passed away. Well, right before he had told my mom, he wished he had taught us how to use power tools, how to build things. That generation. I mean, he could do anything. I mean, those guys could. I mean, he built a house and would rewire the house and shock himself and get right back on the ladder and start (laughs) all over again. Um, You know, and so. You sit there and, and I, I look at it and go, I, like, what was I thinking? But it all goes back to that early childhood thing of not feeling good enough and needing that extrinsic outward reinforcement that everybody's like, oh, great. He's got this great title, you know, which is the title's nothing. It's abs- if the man, if the man's not worth it. The title means nothing. Yeah, I think um, one thing I like. That well, I read one thing that I read in your bio. I think you were talking about your faith and how you grew up and you almost took it for granted. But when you said your wife was a not your wife, when you said your mom was like a self development guru, 
it made me think, you know, did you take, do you think that being exposed to that so much that you almost took it for granted? Because I know me, us growing up, things that we were around, it seems like things that you, you're around a lot when you're growing up, you almost take them for granted where other people don't have that in their life and would love to have it. But you're around it so much that you're just like, yeah, that's, it's every day. And, and I'll, I mean, do you think that contributed at all? Oh, I'm sure. A hundred percent. You know, when you and you guys have been exposed to different people that <clears throat> you've got people that grew up in the church is one way. Right. And you've got people that are, are you know, newly and accepting Christ. There's two different people that you're talking to. Yeah. Right. That person that grew up in it. And now I'm I'm painting with a really broad brush, so I'm sure I've, I've offended some people. But <clears throat> when you're around it so much that you just you take it for granted. I I live I see the Disney fireworks out this window every single night. I mean, Disney World's right there. And you get to the point where you're annoyed by the fireworks. <clears throat> but you think of how many people save their entire life to come to Disney World for one week. That's I mean, these parents part. scrape and they save and it's right there, you know, and I, I've got an 11 and a nine year old and we'll go, we're going to Disney. And I get the eye roll. I go, Ugh, what <laughs> fast passes are we going to get? I'm like, like, seriously, Disney world's right here. So like, it's the same thing is that we're so used to living close to Disney world as people and people that live near the beach and they don't take care of the beach, right? They, they don't take advantage of it. They just do their lives. And when you're around it, and it's just like our loved ones, right? It is when we're around them so much, those are the first people we take for granted because they're always going to be there. But I think those, the valuable. Go ahead. I think the valuable lesson in that is to to look back, look at your own life, examine your own life, and what it what do you have in your life that other people don't have that you are taking for granted that that you could get so much more benefit out of if you would just stop and look. And realize the value of of the things that we do have. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's just it's too easy to to look and envy somebody else's life, but what we don't see is all the other stuff that we don't want to see. You know, we see the the fancy car, we see the just whatever the the good physique, the great beard. Whatever it may be, you know, that we want to have that we don't have that, you know, through all that, we've got a ton. Right. We've all got special things that are our own that nobody can take away from. And it's unique to us. Well, I love that, brother. And, you know, um, you know, which you had sounds like you took a self inventory and, and you knew that you had to make that switch. And then you changed basically what you were feeding yourself with the, the the content that you were surrounded by and the content that was coming into your head and also the content that was coming out of your mouth and the things that you were saying. And that's that's what helped you make that switch and bring you to the place that you are now. And what I get most out of that is, um, you know, looking at your content with Active Futures, and I want you to tell us about Active Futures in a minute. But in your mission statement, front and center, it talks about intentional self-development. Intentional. It's a choice. 
And you made that choice. And it sounds like you intentionally changed those things. I mean, can you give us some insight on intentional self-development, what it means to you and and specific examples of what you did intentionally, you know, you know, in your day to day life? Yeah. So, you know, through this whole transition, one of the things that I was exposed to was David Goggins. Everybody now knows and I know you guys are, are well aware of who he is. And he talks a lot about talking in your head. Right. And he talks about the accountability mirror. <clears throat> and I got to the point where, again, I've read so much self-development, but you get to the point where you can read it. But unless you do anything with it, it's just words on a page. Right. <clears throat> So I took the steps of, you know, during my repentance phase and and really changing my life of having to be intentional about everything that I did as I did that. I looked at the accountability mirror and I just talked to myself and I intentionally forced myself to be honest, look at myself in the eye and lots of tears, man. I mean, to the point where your head hurts and your eyes are red and. You just you just have to get completely stripped down. And so I intentionally wanted to expose myself to myself because I had just repressed a lot of that so much that um, through the intentional self-development, it's creating a plan. It's really trying to decide, okay, what do I want to do with my life? And that's where it's that God first, family second, work third. And now from that, I can work from there and I can set things up in a way. And, and Blake, I know you and I talked the other day is that I, I'm I'm an organizer and like I love my filing cabinets. I've got a label maker that my toolbox is labeled where everything's supposed to go. Um, I've got everything in files. I've got my notes with, you know, markers and highlighters. So I, I like to do things in a way that I can see it. And so one of the things that I did is. On my mirror, I have post-it notes all the way around my mirror, and it's just specific things that would try to change something in my life one thing at a time. Because if you put too much, then you can't. And then if if you put and I had to do different things, I got an 11 and a nine year old of what I put around the, the thing and what I said on there. But um, I had to be intentional with sticking to it. I, I was so used to breaking. I this isn't an original for me. I heard it, but I was so used to breaking promises to myself that I was tired of breaking a promise to myself. Cause if I can't keep one with myself, how can I keep one with somebody else? And so I intentionally forced myself to do different things and I still do it. You know, I created a creed and the, the core of my creed is to live a Christ-like centered life. Don't judge others, embrace the uniqueness of life maintain my integrity of trust in others and and live life to the fullest. I mean, and that I read that every single morning and you have to do those things. And I and I even have one that's right now is God won't reject me. I was out running and I started thinking because I always had this fear of rejection. I'm like, wait, why am I worried about somebody else rejecting me when I know that God will never reject me no matter what? And that gave me a huge sense of purpose. And so it's that intentional self-talk that I know you talk about all the time, Chad, on the, on the trail and, and what you do. But it works with the words, too. Right. The written word is is powerful as well as if you just write it, you make it real. It brings it out of here, out of your brain and puts it in front of you and you can't run away from it. 
At least I couldn't. And so I just took several steps to try to do that because what I wanted to do is I wanted to recreate successes in my life that I had. And I learned a thing that there's four level of competence. Are you guys aware of what the four levels of competence are? Yeah, educate us, Jeff. Okay, so there's four levels. So you have um, you have incompetence and competence, right? So you have those two, but you have unconscious incompetence. You have conscious incompetence. You have conscious competence and unconscious competence. So what happens is sometimes we don't know what we don't know. We don't know that we're doing something wrong, right? And that's the unconscious incompetence. We just are doing things. Conscious incompetence, we know we shouldn't do something, but we continue to do it. We know that we're doing something wrong. We need to change that. Unconscious competence means that we just got lucky. It happened, right? That just that that's where it's at. And then conscious competence means we know what we did. We know we did well. So if we did well, we can repeat it. And that to me is the level we need to try to get to that with being intentional, you can now start to recreate things and you can now what you did successfully here, you can now recreate over here because it wasn't just by chance. Like, you know what? I did this, this and this. And so based on that, I know I can recreate that. And guess what? If I do something a little bit more, I can probably get a little bit more. Right. It was like you, you guys were talking about um, you and Jesse were doing your six four run, right? And you were trying to figure it out. And he was like, "Well, can I just go four six instead of six four? And you're like, "No, man. If we got to do this, if we want to hit your goal, right? Because you were consciously aware and you knew you had done the math, you figured it out. You're like, dude, if we don't do this, you're not going to finish what you want to finish." And that's the conscious competence. You're able to recreate that lap after lap after lap that created success for him to be able to finish. Where if I just went out there and didn't do the math, you're probably not going to finish a race. Right. I mean, that's just it's not going to happen. You might get lucky and finish, but who knows what your food was like, what your training was like, all those different things. And if you're not aware of those, it just the success isn't going to happen. So. To me, that's where the intentionality comes into play. Um, and so that was one of the examples. One of the other fun examples, other than just constantly trying to retrain my brain with positivity and just using things to lift me up and, and to reprogram my brain to be more successful and um, in the sense of being more positive and uplifting and, and selfless to others. Um, I learned about this from one of our preachers where every time he would go to um, a restaurant, he would always ask the waiter or the waitress, is there something I can pray for for you? And he said, usually sometimes they kind of laugh and giggle a little uncomfortable, but then they would do it. And I was like, you know what? That's awesome. You know, I, again, I've got God at the top now and I want to be more intentional there. That freaked me out. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I could just ask a, a random stranger, hey, can I pray for you? You know, I, I just, I didn't feel like and I'm still not 100 percent there. You know, there's still that apprehensive. But I go, you know what? But I have a way that I can do it myself. So you take things in and then you try to reformulate it. So I wanted to become more intentional in my prayers. And so what I started doing is I got a cell phone with a whole bunch of people's names on it. 
and I can text message the same question to a few buddies and I can ask them, say, hey, look, you know, this is exactly what I did. It's like I'm trying to be more intentional in my prayers every day and you mean something to me. Is there something that I can pray for for you this week? And so some would, you know, always send you something sarcastic back. Um, and and some, you know, got to the point where they're like, Dougal, is there anything I can pray for you about? You know, and it just completely flipped on me. And I was like, oh, holy smokes. <laughs> and it's just it's gotten to the point where it's compounded, where it, it takes me over 30 minutes, 45 minutes every morning just to say my prayers for everybody. And I love it. I turn all I get up early. I turn all the lights off. I get my coffee first and I, I sit down and I just I read through it. I mean, you guys are on it. I mean, I pray for what you guys do every day. That's awesome. We, yeah. And, that's you know, that's a common, really common thing, you know, coming from you, Jeff. That's a common thing that we see amongst our guests to master and nourish and maintain their spirit, giving that first fruit of their day to God. So. It's powerful to hear that you're doing the same thing. And that just continuously reconfirms for me how important that is to give that first part of the day to go ahead and get your spirit, your spiritual side squared away uh, because it'll get lost in the shuffle if you don't. Another thing that I like, Jeff, that you talked about is you have a creed. I think that we could do an entire podcast on the importance of having a mission statement or a creed, something that you can recall easily recall in times of stress or adversity that can redirect your focus on your mission in life. So I think it's amazing that you have developed that and uh, you went through the process. And I think we need to do a podcast in the future specifically about how to develop that creed and how to develop a mission statement for yourself. Um, Could you give us a little insight on that just real quick, Jeff, how, how you did that for yourself? You know, I just sat down and I just wanted to think at the core of who I was and who I wanted to be and the areas that I needed to be intentional with. I mean, that's exactly what it was. And um, and I got the idea from, you know, Marcus Luttrell has a team never quit creed on the back of his one of his T-shirts that I had bought. And I got it. And I went, you know what? I like that. I need I need one of those myself. And so I, I typed it up. I printed it off and it's on my mirror. And I look at it every day. And and again, it's that it's that intentional reminder. My brain, I'm not a smart fella. I'm not, you know, one of these guys that um, can just wing it. And I know we'll talk about our goal, the goal stuff in a minute. But to me, is I have to I have this ruminating mind. And if I get negative things in there, they spin. And so now it's like I don't even let it in. I just I push it out. And, And I that creed helps me stay centered, stay focused. Um, you know, the first couple tries, I was trying to be too poetic. I was like, I'm not a poetic guy. I'm just not. Um, you know, and I, when I try to be, it's not sincere, it's clumsy, it's just not good. And so finally I was like, just stop it and just write. And so I just wrote it and then it came out. I was like, Oh, I like that. And so that's what I roll with. Yeah, it's so important, man. And even if it's just something as simple as having a few mantras for yourself, you, it, but it needs to be simple. I think yeah. that that's the point. And it has to be simple because you have to be able to recall it when you need that creed is when stuff's getting a little sideways. You don't need yeah. that. You don't need that creed or that mantra necessarily <laughs> on the good days. No. But when it's getting sideways, you need yeah. to be able to recall that thing. 
uh, right off the top of your head. So I think it's essential that whatever it is, is, is a simple message, you know? Yeah. yeah. It can't be in the King James version language. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, brother. I think it can, you know, and with it being simple, it helps you make decisions too. Cause when you have a complicated decision or you don't know which way to go, if you have a mission statement or a creed for your life, you can say, all right, well, which one fulfills my creed? And it's obvious the route to take after that, you know, it, it, is it living life to the fullest or is it sitting in the chair? And, and your creed tells you what answer to take, even though it's uncomfortable. I'm going to get up and live life to the fullest. Yeah. Because yeah, even if you compromise that creed just a little bit before too much longer, it gets bigger, you know, and you can have two lines together and you just raise that one line a tenth of a degree. And when you run that line out for hundreds of feet, that gap goes from a tenth of a degree and it's a massive wedge. And that's what happened in my life. I just let little things continue to, you know, keep myself unbalanced to the point where I was just way out of balance. It's amazing, brother. I, I want to dig in real quick to uh, Active Futures. And that is your uh, business, Jeff. And I, I want you to tell me first, what is uh, Active Futures? Uh, in your own words. Yeah. So Active Futures, what I wanted to do is this was something that I'd prayed about and people had talked about is I was really good at my former job and I was good in the sense of I love to lift people up. I love to help develop people, reach and surpass their goals. It, it's what excited me about doing my job every day. And so when I was taken out of that position to not be in a formal role to be able to do that, I really started to look and started to write everything down that I had learned over the past, you know, 12 years I had been in training, marketing or, or leadership role. And I started thinking and bouncing around and talking to my wife and a couple other people like you should just you should do this. You need to get this stuff out there. And so it's funny, at the time I'd listened to one of the, the podcasts with Adam Davis on it. I was like, well, maybe I should write a book. I was like, no, I'm not. I, I'm far from a writer at this point. But I started thinking of how, you know, I love to help people one on one and talk to people. And so, you know, looking at it, it, it creates a great opportunity for me outside of my, my day job in the evenings and on the weekends to be able to help people that are looking for some professional development, whether it's goal setting, whether it's um, looking at things that that encompasses what people should have elements of in their professional career. Um, and so for me, that's what it all stems to. And so the more I, I've really prayed about it is I have a lot of stuff that I just want to get out there. I just want to, you know, to me, it's the, the words on the paper are just words on the paper. And so I'm more than willing to, to send things to people. And, you know, then in, if, if they like what they see and I'm able to help them, then we can, you know, work out some things and, and, and work and see how I can help them on a long term basis. But for me, it's it's really given back. And um, I wanted to read this Bible verse that's on my my Web page that really drives what I want to do for this, you know, the active future specifically is. It's Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his interest, but also the interest of others. 
have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours and Jesus Christ. So for me, that's just that aspect of if I can just help somebody to help somebody, then I've done what I needed to do. You know, and I just, you know, my goal for 2020 on my whiteboard is to add value. That's one of the strategies that I have that building tactics around that is just getting this stuff out there and hoping that I can add value to people. Well, and it's already adding value to us, Jeff, you know, as, as you sent us over this um, active goal setting worksheet uh, a couple of days ago. And I've sat down and spent some time with this thing today, just really reading over it and um, and working through it. And I love the way you've broken down this goal setting into this pyramid where you've got the goal at the bottom, the strategy at the top, and then the tactic that you're going to use to, uh, you know, carry out that strategy and accomplish your goal. And, you know, I just think that's an amazing way to just simplify it. And you've got it broken down to where you can write it out, ask yourself these questions, get them out of your head and onto paper. Um, talk us through a little bit uh, of that pyramid, that active goal setting pyramid that you've created. Yeah. You know, and this came from a, a, a boss that I had when I went into marketing because coming out of sales, it's just all tactics. Right. So it would be like somebody in your position when you were in the teams that you're just tactic oriented. Somebody else is figuring out the strategy, but you're the one that has to blow the door. Right. That's the tactic to get accomplished the mission. But the mission is part of a bigger thing, right? And so you have your goal, you have your strategy, and you have your tactics. And so I was always thinking tactically, and in marketing, you can't. You first have to have a goal. Well, really, in anything, you can't. When you boil it down, we do this every day. We're just not intentional in every part of our life, right? And so when you look at a goal, there's two different types of goals. There's intrinsic goals, which fill your soul. That's the inside. And you have extrinsic goal, which is your outward worldly goal, which is money, title, those type things. Extrinsic goals leave you hollow. Intrinsic goals fulfill you. So to me is there's different levels that you can have. And again, this is just this is what has helped me. There's so many different things out there when it comes to goal setting and those type things. So, you know, for me. You know, I'm not sure if this is for everyone, but it's for those people who like to plan. It's worth a shot. Right. It's worth to because now when I close my eyes, I program my brain. I look at everything in one, two, three and then one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And I just have that tree. I know that people can't see us on the podcast, but it's just it's a tree. And so you have a goal and then you have strategies that apply towards that goal. And for me. The goal, you know, I went back and listened to some of the podcasts and I was listening to the one with Noah Cochran. Right. And both of you had the same goal. Right. He said he wanted to win the race. You said you wanted to win the race. He said first he just wanted to run the best that he could. And you said you wanted to run the best that you could. But and you said he beat you by two hours. Right. But were you defeated? Because you ran as hard as you could, you know, so the what's the problem that happens? A lot of people will set those finish line goals that they just they're like, OK, now what? And they just shrug their shoulders. But if you say, I want to run the best that I can and you know that you didn't leave anything in the tank, the only and you leave something in your tank and you don't win, you're the only person to blame. So 
for me, when you look at goals, you really want to think of something that's bigger that you're really never going to reach, but you're always going to strive for that. So um, like you said, you want to run your best. You want to run your best. Or like uh, Jesse on his um, episode, he was talking about having your best life, right? So his goal is to just fulfill his life. When he looks back at his, I can't remember the math of how many days he says he has left. He wants to know that he did everything with it. Well, that's his goal, right? That's a big goal that he's never going to hit. Even that day where he's about to close his eyes, that guy's probably going to think, oh, I could have done this. You know, I never got around to skydiving or whatever it is. But then he built a strategy. He talked about do what I love to do get good at it and help people. So those are his three strategies that apply to his bigger goal. Now from those, he can tree his tactics behind that. And so if people would think of those things, it's like baking a cake, right? I'm not a baker. My wife, I'm a, I'm a cook because I don't have to follow uh, uh, ingredients. But if you bake a cake, nobody ever sat down and went, okay, I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to bake a cake. That's never happened. Doesn't work. No, unless you call mom and then all of a sudden it shows up, (laughs) right? So you have the ingredients on paper. So you have everything listed, right? So you have your strategy, you have your dry goods and your wet goods, right? So you have those things that you have to put together. But just thinking about it and putting it on paper isn't enough. So the tactics are mixing all those things together. So you got to get it done and then you got to physically put it in the oven. So you have to intentionally say, I'm going to make a cake. I'm going to get my ingredients together. But now that I've got everything together, I'm going to follow this. I'm going to bake it. And it's so many people do things in their life, in my opinion, that are just like we talked about this pyramid, that they naturally do it. It's that unconscious competence, but they're unwilling to take the time in other aspects of their life. We'll use me as an example, body, work. Man, I was on fire with my goals and I hit it, but those other two were a mess. So I didn't have the right goal, right? And so when I look at my life now, is my goal is to become the man that God wants me to be. That's it. That's my big goal. And then from that, everything else splinters off of that. And if I can continually focus on that top, which my creed plays into, All of my strategies will now play into that. My tactics will play into the strategy to get to my goal. And so it's it's such a great way to think about it. And there's a Bible verse in Proverbs. Proverbs is an unbelievable book Um, that is Proverbs 21, five. The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. I, I mean, it's just right there. And it's like whether whether you believe in God or not, I mean, that's that's beautifully written. I didn't write it. <laughs> we already talked about that. But it's it's just being diligent in every aspect that you do and and listening to like how Noah talked about his training. That guy's insane with his training, but he's intentional. He planned it. He planned his runs for what, two weeks? You know, and then you listen back to Gina and Jay, and she talked about how planning for a hike is her hobby. Right. You don't set out on a a trail without planning. You don't go into the woods for a weekend without knowing what you're going to put in your bag. 
You know, you never went on a mission without a lot of planning. You had it down pat. You knew exactly what to do. And by having the plan up front, then when you go back and you do your after action report or you do your reflection, you have something to reflect upon. And what happens is if you don't have that goal, you don't have the conscious competence or incompetence, right, that you can't reflect on. And so then you can't either correct it or or even repeat it even better. There's a great book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Again, it's such a simple statement, but it's so true. You know, what made you win one race is not going to automatically have you win another race. And, you know, I know a lot of reading through your reviews on the podcast, a lot of your listeners are ultra runners and trail runners and hikers and stuff. And, you know, every trail's different. Every run's different. And you can't prepare for the same one the same way and expect a different result. You know, one of the one of the craziest things that I just heard you say, Jeff, is you talked about how you talked about the after actions report after the mission is complete or the the evolution is over and how you're not going to get anything out of that after actions report if you didn't have a plan to start with. And I could not agree with that more uh, because I can just remember it training evolutions in the teams, you know, like a full mission profile type deal. You'd come up with a plan and then the after actions report was literally just going over the plan and talking about where things went wrong. So we would never learn anything. We would have never learned anything once this training mission was complete if we would not have had a solid, detailed plan to start with. So I've never thought of the plan as as really being a step in the learning process, man. That's yeah, that just struck a chord with me, dude. It was like your episode that you released, that 13-minute episode. It was either yesterday or today that you released it. And I listened to it this morning. You know, you talked about the guys that, you know, you have to know how to be hard when it gets hard. And you had these guys that just said, okay, my goal is to be number one in every evolution. And they can't sustain it. Like you talked about it. And they probably, their ego wouldn't let them look back and go, you know what? I pushed too hard to be number one. And so maybe I need to back off a little bit this go around and try to be number one a couple of times later or, or something to that effect. And our ego gets in the way of everything. Yeah, totally brother. Totally. No, that's, that is solid Jeff. And I want to talk to you real quick about a goal that you, I guess, I, I guess going from the goals that we were just talking about being like macro goals, um, yep. You have now set a goal for yourself, kind of a micro goal, it being 29029 yeah. coming up in 2020, man. Uh, I want to know wh- what what that means to you and and kind of where the um, inspiration or, or the idea to go and sign up for a challenge of that magnitude, uh, because that is a proper challenge, brother. And I can't wait to see you out there on the course <laughs> next year. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that, again, this goes back to the before I used to run from everything, make excuses for everything. If it was super hard, I wouldn't do it. And I've done some things that I've been proud of. You know, Disney has a thing down here where you can do they call it the goofy where you run the half on Saturday and the full on Sunday. And so when I turned 40, I did that. Check that off. And I was pretty proud of myself. Um and, and I've done other things, but this one was, this one is different, you know, so the 29029, 
again, by following you, I've been exposed to a lot of the things that you've been exposed to. And I knew, so one of the first books that I've read in my whole transition that exposed me to David Goggins, those things was um, Jesse's book, Living with a Seal. That was like, like one of the first books right after I made my transition. And, um, you know, seeing him and hearing his energy, that guy's just fired out of a cannon all the time. Um, which is awesome, which is not me, which I, I want to be right. That's where my envy, like my big sin and my big weak spot is envy. Like I see people like, I want to be that way. We'll do it then. And so I, I saw this as a huge challenge because it's going to take a lot of preparation. I'm born and raised fifth generation Floridian. I know flat really well, <laughs> you know, um, and so watching and seeing you go up there and hearing about the small, intimate environment that it is and the exposure. Now that I'm on the page to see all the different people from all walks of life, all ages, you know, some superhuman athletes to looks like my mom walking up, you know, the hill and seeing that just it, I, it something stirred in me and it got me really excited. And then I looked at the price. And so fear set in. Right. I just immediately was like, uh oh, you know, um, I guess that that's off the table. And so I sat down and I just it kept just circling back in my head. And it just was again, I'm a ruminator, obsessive thinker, and it just wouldn't go away. And I'm pretty cheap normally with my history of spending too much money. Now I'm on the opposite end. I've become my dad is that usually if it's expensive, it's out of my head pretty fast. Like, nope, too much. I'm out. But this thing just kept circling in my head that I just I talked to my wife. I was like, I've got to do this. We've got to figure out a way to get it done. And, um, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to where I had some uh, some of the money to be able to do it. And so I was like, let's just do it. Now, my problem is that I want it to be October 2020 already. <laughs> and so I have to be careful because. Like I, I wanted to start asking, I've already started looking at polls and hydration vests. I'm like, it's a year away, man. <laughs> but I'm like ready to buy everything because um, I'm excited and I'm excited about the the challenge physically and mentally. It's going to be to not be arrogant and think, OK, I'm in pretty good shape. I should be able I do half marathons and I could go finish one cold. It wouldn't be a great time, but I could go run one um, to where. If I don't prepare, then I'll hate myself. And I know that's not the right mental thing to say. I'll disappoint myself, which is still not the right thing mentally to say. But for me, it's the excitement of the preparation of setting the goal to get that red hat. I want that red hat. And that's going to be my thing. And my mantra, just like on your your race that you did, um, where don't die in the chair came up. It's just it's repeating something that's going to be a, a mantra for me to get through that when I'm done, the accomplishment that I know that I'll feel is that I, there's no doubt there will be tears on that mountain, you know, um, of just the excitement of of knowing the work that I put in. And now, like my whole mindset set has shifted like the Red Hat's great, but that's not really to me is going to be the reward. It's knowing that I I planned and prepared properly to get the red hat and the red hat to me is just the the exclamation point on i trained well enough to get it done 
And whether or not there was a hat or not, if I finished 17 and there was no red hat, I still finished the 17, you know, and it's, and there's things going in my head like, well, maybe I should do 18 if I have enough time, you know, <laughs> but then I go, my legs probably won't let me, but you never know. Well, I'm telling you what, Jeff, I'm so proud of you for going on there and taking the leap on that, man, because it's a, it's an awesome event. And, um, I cannot wait to spend some time on the mountain with you, man. I'm going to be there, Lord willing. And as you can see, I got my red, my red bib hanging nice. on the wall right there. I mean, because, you know, I've been I've done a lot of events and I'm not trying to make this. Uh, and this is not an ad for 29029 or anything like that. I'm just super passionate about that specific event because it is totally unique and uh, it does take preparation and it's a proper challenge, but it's achievable for a broad spectrum of of people and the people that it draws, man, guys like you, for instance, the people that that event draws, it's it's unmatched um, the competitors that you'll meet out there from any other event that I've ever been to. So it's going to be a wonderful day, man. I'm ready for October 2022, man. You got me fired <laughs> up, brother. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it, it's going to be a lot of fun and, and just getting there. And, and uh, it, it's given me good hope for the year of something exciting to, to plan for. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's another thing, you know, you kind of finishing it off with that. It's so important to for me to put those things on my calendar, man, like if I don't have a race on my calendar, if I don't have a race on this big whiteboard back here with, you know, coming up within the next couple months, I, I go crazy, man. I got to have something on my calendar that I'm going to challenge me that I know is going to give me a reason to get out here and train every day and get better. It's for me, it's essential. Yep. Yeah. I, and that's where I. It, it's easy for people to have physical goals like this and the challenge that that I extend to you guys and whoever else is is listening is that we've got to do that in every aspect right it's just like you talk about it's that body soul and spirit is that if you're not setting up multiple goals and all three of those it, it, you're just you're missing the mark you're missing a fulfilled life in my opinion that when you look back that day um, when titles don't matter, that you can have a smile on your face, that you've done everything that you needed to do and you've left this world a better place. Mm, you're exactly right, man. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> you, you do. You've got to set those goals on all three aspects. Yeah. And and the wonderful thing about uh, an event like 29029 or even a 100-mile race, for me, that is a body-soul-spirit goal man it's it's both the both those types of events any type of long endurance event like that for me it hits all three of those aspects and the training that it takes to get there you're hitting those three aspects of yourself for that entire journey um so it it really fills the gap for me personally and like you said jeff everybody's different man nothing that we say on here is ever for everybody it's for the few people that it means something to and that's the reason that we do this. So um, anything else that you got, Jeff, that you want to put out to the audience, man, before we wrap it up? No, just if they've only listened to a couple of y'all's episode, they need to listen to all of them. Um, I, just the, the diversity of guests that you guys have. I'm humbled to be among them because I, I hold them in highest esteem and I, I don't even know them. But just the, the character of people that you've had on here so far is just unbelievable. And I, like I said, I'm, I'm humbled and honored that 
that you guys would even request and ask me to come on here. So I'm, I'm thankful. And I just, like I said, I pray for y'all's mission every day. You guys are disciples for positivity and for Christ and for, for getting all the good things out there that this world needs. Well, brother, you've added some tremendous value to the show here today, man. And any success that we have had or that we ha- or that we're going to have is, is because of guys like you taking the time to come on here and share with us and share with our audience, brother. So we can't thank you enough, man. Oh, well, we're just, just so proud to have you on here. And, and you know, I just love that, that you got all this stuff and, and just took the initiative and, and changed it for your kids. You're such a good father. And so thanks for being on. I appreciate you. Hi, right, guys. This is the Three of Seven podcast. Enough said.